everyone, my name is Michelle and welcome to Romcom Weekly. Today, my brother Michael is back on the podcast and we're talking about the wedding singer. Hi, Michael. Hey, how are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Of course, of course. It's good to be back here. I'm so excited. Okay, so a few things about this movie. It was released in February of 1998. It's directed by Frank Caracci, written by Tim Herlihy, and it stars Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore. The IMDb.com summary is, Robbie, a singer, and Julia, a waitress, are both engaged, but to the wrong people. Fortune intervenes to help them discover each other. It has a 6.8 on IMDb, and it made around $123 million worldwide. Okay, Michael, what would you rate this movie on a scale from 1 to 10? So I think after watching a couple other rom-coms in comparison and this movie, I would give this a solid 7.5 out of 10. Okay. I'm pretty close to you. I'm giving it a 7.8, so just a oh. smidge higher than you. <laughs> I waffled between a 7.5 and an 8, and I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to meet in the middle. That's fair. That's fair. So why did you choose to discuss this movie and what's your relationship with it? Yeah, sure. So... The reason I wanted to do this movie was, number one, this was actually the first Adam Sandler movie I've ever seen growing up. Um, living under the same roof with you for so long, <laughs> rom-coms were kind of the, the de facto genre of movies that we watched uh, with the family. And so this being an Adam Sandler movie combined with being a rom-com, you know, it definitely spoke to me because I love Adam Sandler's movies and I also like rom-coms. And so, you know, this is probably, in my opinion, this is one of his better movies and mm. probably his best rom-com really his best rom-com yeah yeah and i Ooh. say that with confidence <laughs> okay wow okay this was actually going to be one of my questions but hold your thought i wanted to share just a little bit about my relationship with it i just feel like i've seen this movie so many times and yes michael i know growing up with me you definitely definitely watched a lot of rom-coms <laughs> and on repeat and you have an insane memory so I remember you would be upstairs, I would be downstairs watching the movie, and you could hear the movie playing, and I'd be like, Michael, guess what movie I'm watching? And you would always, <laughs> always get it right, just because I watch movies on repeat, and you do too, so we're yeah. just lockstep It runs that. in the family at this point. It yeah. does, it totally does. <laughs> yeah, so this movie, I feel like it's on TV a lot, so it's really easy to watch. No matter what scene I catch it on TV, I'm like, oh, I'm in. I'm going to just continue watching. And side note, do you happen to remember that you and I and Mommy, we went to go see this show on Broadway? Really? Yes. I'm pretty sure. It sounds like something we definitely would do, but I don't remember that at all. I have a very clear memory of going to the musical because I think Daddy was like on a business trip or something. So it was just the three of us. Like I had to drive to the train station. We had to go to TKTS in Times Square and we bought the tickets but I remember nothing about the show. Were you in college when we went? I think I was in college. I remember watching the show, I think, and being like, this is nothing really like the movie. And I think that was disappointing <laughs> to me. So I was just like, I wrote it off. I was like, eh, not into the show. Yeah, maybe that's why we easily forgot it, just because it doesn't compare to the movie. Totally. Okay, so let's talk about Adam Sandler right now, since you brought him up. I did want to mention that this is the first of three movies that he and Drew Barrymore did together, right? So this one in 98, 50 First Dates in 2004, and Blended in 2014. So have you seen these movies? 
I actually haven't seen Blended. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to have to check that out. But I guess just in comparison to Fifty First Dates, since Wedding Singer was the first movie where we really got to see Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore work together, mm-hmm. the chemistry was already there from the very first movie. And so I think that's why it stuck with me more than Fifty First Dates. Plus, also, I just didn't really like the whole plot of Fifty First Dates mm-hmm. of Drew Barrymore forgetting her memory every <laughs> single day. It just... It was... A little bit more unrelatable. Not to say that, you know, I'm engaged to the wrong person as well, but, you know, sure. it's, <laughs> it was just a little more unrelatable compared to The Wedding Singer. I totally get it. Yeah. Of the three movies, I have seen Blended, um, but of the three movies, I would say this is the most relatable. The Fifty First States one is a little bit out there, the plot, and then Blended also a little bit quirkier, I would say. Mm. But similar to you, I think this is the first Adam Sandler movie that I really leaned into and watched a lot because as I was growing up, Adam Sandler, he did like Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore. And those were, I think, the movies that made Adam Sandler really, really famous after SNL. But I think I was too young or just not too young. I just I think those movies were geared more towards young boys, like really silly and goofy and like really immature kind of humor. And that was just not mm-hmm. my lane at that age. Clearly, I like rom-com. So this is what I gravitated towards. But this one also is just it has a special place in my heart. No, definitely. And I think compared to other Adam Sandler movies like Big Daddy and yeah, and mm. Happy Gilmore, he, in those movies, his character is much more of kind of like a man-child where he's totally. just wildly irresponsible and he's not choosing a secure path. Mm-hmm. Whereas in The Wedding Singer, you know, he's kind of got it all together. He's still sweet and charming. And the only problem is he's he's just engaged to the wrong woman. And yep. so he's choosing this path between either do I go for what's secure and what's valuable materialistically or do I choose, you know, my creative side and what what speaks to me. Mm. And so I think that's where The Wedding Singer kind of differs in all of the other Adam Sandler movies. Plus this movie is very music-centric and <laughs> that's that's actually one thing that I really love about Adam Sandler and his talent as a whole is that he's so musically talented and Mm. you really get to see that in this movie. Totally. Uh, I was talking to Frank about this movie last night and I was like, yeah, I'm going to record The Wedding Singer and blah, blah, blah. And Frank was like, yeah, he's really made a really interesting side career as like this singer. I mean, I don't think he has a career as a singer, but he released the Hanukkah song. So I was playing that on Spotify last night and I was like, wow, yeah, why do I know the Hanukkah song word for yeah, word? Yeah, that was a big song. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was really fun going down memory lane. Okay, so back to The Wedding Singer and things about we like about this movie. I think we mm-hmm. have to talk about the music, obviously. Definitely. Yeah, the whole 80s ambiance, the vibes, the energy, it was just... Me being a huge fan of nostalgia, just hearing all the kinds of 80s music references that they were making throughout the movie. Like, I think in the opening scene where Adam Sandler was supposed to get married, they were playing Journeys Don't Stop Believing, yes. but in an orchestra version. And I that blew me away. I had no idea that, you know, that song was even there until I watched it again. And so it's just little things like that, that that kept me entertained and hooked into the movie. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I'm a child of the 80s. Watching this movie when it came out in the late 90s, I was like, wow, the 80s were amazing. Like, (laughs) I think this movie introduced me to 80s music. And I think a lot of the music I had heard for the first time was from this movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What are some other things you like about this movie? 
I mean, just with the, just building off the whole 80s thing, you know, I think the wardrobes, the fashion definitely mm -hmm. caught my eye. You know, you have the antagonist, uh, I think it was, his name was Glenn, um, yes. who plays Drew Barrymore's wrong fiance. He had a very like Miami Vice kind of vibe, <laughs> yes. always wearing like hot pink and salmon with like the white blazer. I loved it. Yeah. And then Christine Taylor, who I also loved in her other movies in the, in the later 2000s. Yeah. Yeah, she had like this, I don't even know what to call it. It was like a another hot pink like tank top with like a drop shoulder sweater. And then she <laughs> rocked a headband with like the hair. It was just amazing. And I just thought, you know, I, if anyone dressed like that today, it, it would not fit. Or people would think that you're just going to a, like a weird 80s party. 80s party, yeah. Yeah, I just love the wardrobes. I low-key wish we could still dress like that, but you know. Dude, <laughs> let's do it. We should have an 80s themed party. No, definitely. <laughs> yeah, just building off that, you know, I think the, the side characters in the mm. movie too, the boy George Doppelganger was, was so funny. Um, how he yes. only knew one song <laughs> one for the song. entire movie and he just kept playing the song over and over. So George, who's played by Alexis Arquette, he's an imitation of boy George, who is part of the band Culture Club, which is an actual band that's saying, do you really want to hurt me? So, I mean, yeah, I think the character of George was just totally a doppelganger for boy George. No, it was it was so funny since I didn't really so know good. who boy George or the gang or that 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 Culture music group Club. actually was. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But for some reason, the name boy George just sticks out. And so seeing that again, after, you know, not having watched the movie for at least 10 years, it was, mm. it was definitely a, a laughing flashback. And, yeah, um, yeah. and the grandma, Rosie, who's played by Ellen Dow, yeah. who was also the grandma, I think, in Wedding Crashers. Yes! Yeah. When she was singing at her 50th anniversary in the movie, and then she all, start, all of a sudden starts singing hip hop. Yes. That was, that was so funny. And it just, yeah. She looks exactly the same. Mm-hmm. From Wedding Singer to Wedding Crashers. Yeah, both wedding-themed movies. But the movies. humor is still there, honestly, which is great. Yeah. I'm echoing everything you just said. The supporting cast was solid. I, I loved Christine Taylor as Cousin Holly. Rosie, they're, they're all just... They added so much value to the overall humor of this movie. Yeah. But I think we got to talk a little bit more about Drew Barrymore and Adam Sandler and why this movie works so well. They definitely have chemistry. And the word chemistry, I feel like, is very... It's a loose term, but when you don't see chemistry on screen you're kind of just like not really sold on them as a couple but then when you do see it you're like oh they have chemistry i think that their characters are so likable and they're so genuine and you know we talked a little bit about adam sandler playing this character of robbie hart and it's a little bit more of a departure for him as what we've come to know adam sandler playing and i, I think he's really good in this he plays this character so genuinely and julia obviously Drew Barrymore's character. She's so likable. And we, we buy into the fact that she's not with Glenn for the money. You know, she seems authentic. Not only are we questioning why she loves Glenn, but she's also questioning why she loves Glenn. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think that's, you know, why Adam Sandler's character is so good, because maybe that's just who he naturally is. He's just naturally like, you know, the musically focused, charming guy. Mm. Drew Barrymore's characters in most movies kind of plays that girl that, you know, that falls for the one who isn't all about the flash and mm. the money. And so I think that that's kind of where it all started. And plus the fact that it's a 90s movie too, you know, they were, they were big, they were big actors at the time. So I think it was, you know, it was great for both of them. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else you like about this movie? Other than that, you know, just the music. Yeah. 
from 80s songs that they you know played in the background to actually Adam Sandler's music that he yes. played. Yeah, I think it's I think it's great. You know, I could go on and on about you know Adam Sandler's original music, but I think also just the plot as well and just how it fits so perfectly in the 80s. Mm. If there was a story about a wedding singer now, that would be so rare because who would want to hire a wedding singer when, you know, DJs kind of run everything now? Yeah, yeah. And not only were they just the wedding singers, they were kind of the MCs of the entire night and they were kind of the glue of making sure that the whole night runs smoothly from, you know, a performance standpoint. And I think that there's, yeah, and I think that's just what makes this story so much more believable. The fact that it's in the 80s and it's around this kind of role that doesn't really exist or is even in demand right now. It's such a period piece in that respect, right? Yeah. You're able to kind of be like reflect, like, wow, that was a moment in time. And like, I think it's perfectly set in the eighties because the eighties are kind of a decade of excess, like big hair, loud clothes, like, but Glenn and his wall street days, like it's just very specific. And I, I really, really liked it. No, it feels like it definitely belongs in the 80s because, I mean, I wasn't born until, you know, 91, but it seemed that Wall Street was becoming more of a, a commonplace thing or mm-hmm. a bigger deal in the, the mid to late 80s. Yeah. And so I was very happy when, you know, the wedding scene kind of caught that that trend during that time mm-hmm. and somehow made it work into uh, one of the themes of the movie of just, you know, you're contradicting values, leading the characters to making bad choices that goes against what they believe in and what they yeah. want. So it's all very good. Just a side note, I loved the scene when Adam's, when Robbie Hart is singing at the bar mitzvah because this age is when I started going to bar mitzvahs. I'm totally aging myself right now, but you mentioned like no one's really a wedding singer anymore. I also wonder if there are live bands for bar mitzvahs because that was my experience when I was going to all these bar and bat mitzvahs. It was so fun because you kind of need the energy as you're, as you're turning 13, right? Like you kind of need someone to add energy to the party. I don't know. Was that your experience for bar mitzvahs? Uh, sadly, no. Like a lot of the bar and bat mitzvahs that I went to was mostly DJs. And instead oh. of the wedding singer hyping up the crowd, they had <laughs> hype, like dancer, hype people? hype people. Yeah. To get, us 13-year-olds out of our chairs. Yeah, I remember that very clearly as well. Yeah, so I mean, I guess even even six and a half years apart of bar and bat mitzvahs, times have already changed from that point. Yeah, I just, I have very distinct memories of like bar and bat mitzvah singers. Yeah. Special yeah, I, moments. I <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's move on to things that we don't like about this movie. What do you think? Yeah, so I mean, you know, there is definitely some mixed feelings I had about a couple aspects of the movie. I guess the fact that it is a 90s movie, Mm -hmm. the humor can be a little basic. (laughs) And then there's definitely some crass and vulgar jokes on certain levels that I did not like. Some of the jokes were were pretty outdated, especially, you know, when it comes to the perceptions of how men treat women. Mm -hmm. There's a scene where this little boy was just grabbing Drew Barrymore's butt, which would oh, totally yes. not fly <laughs> totally. anymore. But, you know, the movie kind of... And it didn't even highlight it being a bad thing. They were just kind of laughing it off as, you know, mm. oh, haha, like how this is how people like boys or old men misbehave towards attractive women. That's just not okay at this point in time. Yep. And it just, you know, it just kind of really showed you how how much times have changed in just how we how we treat each other in general. I think the way they 
kind of played that off is when Adam Sandler starts dancing with a 13-year-old girl and he grabs her hands to his butt. So it's like, okay, well, you know, the role reversal is also true if we could poke fun of it. Yeah, that's very true. And I I do appreciate Adam Sandler for 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 kind of making light of that situation. I guess there are other... Other things, you know, when um, when one of the the kitchen staff in the er- earlier in the movie was giving Drew Barrymore's character a hard time, mm-hmm. Christine Taylor's character comes in and says, "Oh, she, she flashed him just to make work easier." Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like things like that yep. that didn't sit right with me. But you know, it is a '90s movie, and times were very, very different back then. <laughs> yeah, it just felt dated with you know, in light of the whole Me Too movement and you know, countless other cases that are that happened in current events. Absolutely, I wrote down the exact same things. So many parts of it just haven't aged well. But I questioned myself, so this movie came out in 1998, and it's set in 1985. So I wonder if in 1998 they were poking fun of the mentality of 1985. Do you know what I mean? Like, was it already dated in 1998? Oh, that is true. That is true. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I mean... Yeah, and movies back then, they could definitely get away with a lot more in terms of making references or even just poking fun at things. Mm-hmm. So no, that, that is a good point. I wouldn't know since I didn't really understand like male and female perception when totally. I was in 98, but... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you were a wee little child. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I want to add on to your list of things that didn't age well. There's that scene, as you mentioned, that Robbie Hart is singing Love Stinks and he's just totally calling out and making fun of the quote-unquote unattractive people at the wedding, like the overweight people, you know, just fat shaming them publicly. So I was a little kind of cringy. Sammy, who is Robbie's best friend, played by Alan Covert, he's outwardly predatory about women in the beginning, as you mentioned. Like, oh, I'm going to give it to her. She doesn't know what's coming. And (laughs) it's, it's funny. I get it. But yikes, no, you can't. Mm-mm. Yeah, you can't you can't act like that. No. But I mean, it, he does kind of save face when he, yes. at the end of the movie, you know, he says, "I'm miserable. All I want is someone to hold me." Yes. <laughs> I I'm kind of taking a chance when I say this, but that that white male toxic masculinity kind of mm. energy and seeing him break it down into where he's actually using it as a front because he's mm-hmm. he's lonely. And I think that totally. that that definitely saved face for his character for yes. sure. And I always loved Alan Covert in the, in the other Adam Sandler movies, so yes. I knew that I knew that he was going to come around. He just always has to kind of act like that person in the beginning. Yeah, it's a nice juxtaposition between Robbie's character, right? Because Robbie just wants to be in love and be married, but then on the flip, you see Sammy, who's just like this perennial bachelor, who's just lonely and to comfort himself, he's just with a different woman every every night. So I think it's a nice showing that yeah he he also just wants the same things that Robbie does at the end yeah Alan Covert's character definitely was more in the rom-com sense compared to his other movies for sure yes yes I always love seeing all these people that Adam Sandler works with I I talked about this a little bit on the just go with it podcast with Frank that movie that Adam Sandler did with Jennifer Aniston but I feel like Adam Sandler's kind of got it figured out he just works with the same people who are probably his best friends and collaborators. And he just has a fun time making these jokes. It doesn't feel like he's making movies for people, but he's doing it for himself. And we're just along for the ride. Yeah, exactly. I think the reason why I respect Adam Sandler so much is because, because I, in my opinion, I think he's a foundation of what Hollywood is supposed to be like, you know, you come Mm. together in with your own crew 
you don't really trust anyone else to do things for you except the people in your crew. Mm. You make great stories and you continue to work together and stay close together. And I think that's, you know, you don't really see that a lot in Hollywood mm -hmm. anymore. It's kind of similar to, like, say, Steve Carell's and Will Ferrell's crew. You know, they only make movies together for the most part. I know Steve mm -hmm. Carell's done some, some other dramas, but in a general sense, you know, it's... I very much admire people who stick with the crew that they have and mm. they continue to essentially, you know, put bread on their table as long like all along the way. And I think that's, you know, that's super admirable. Yeah, there's something romantic about working with the people who came up with you in Hollywood mm -hmm. and showing that kind of solidarity and loyalty is really likable seems a little weak. But yeah, I really I like that about Adam Sandler. But I do want to poke a little hole in what you said. Are his movies good? You know, like, I think he's able to get away with a lot of ridiculous movies. Like, I haven't seen all the movies that he's done on Netflix. Adam Sandler gets to make whatever movies he wants. He doesn't care if the critics like it or don't like it. And that's yeah, what that's I also mean. Like, he's just here to have a good time. He's, like, bankrolling the net the money that Netflix is giving him. And he's just working with his friends and traveling to all these film destinations. Like, yeah, for me, I think he's got it made. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, at a certain point, it doesn't necessarily have to be a blockbuster hit anymore. When you come out mm -hmm. in the early, like, like he did in the early 90s with, you know, Wedding Singer, Big Daddy, Waterboy, uh, oh, yeah. Happy Gilmore, you know, all those movies that were just so out there, but they were all pretty much like the stories were all created by him and, you know, he cast all his friends in it. Mm -hmm. Even if it sells, then then it sells, you know, it doesn't have to be an Oscar worthy mm -hmm. performance, but it, it fits that niche market of people who grew up with Adam Sandler and continue to love his, his stories. You know, it doesn't have to be your favorite story, but it's a story that, that kind of sticks with you. And I think that that's true for a lot of his movies. Like there's definitely lines that if I said it to you, you'd probably know where that came from. Yes. And I think that's, that's kind of what he's going for and it, and it works, you know? And I yeah. think, if he can make movies where certain memories or moments stick 20 years later, then I think he's done his job. Yeah, he's special. He's really... Not a lot of movie stars can do what Adam Sandler has done and get away with it. Yeah, definitely. I also think not many are as talented as he is either. Mm -hmm. And also not many... Not everyone has the I don't care what you think mm. energy as much as Adam Sandler does. Yeah, I was watching some interviews in preparation for this podcast. I was watching him on YouTube, like press mm -hmm. that he and Drew Barrymore have did. And he gives like zero fucks about what he wears on on interviews. It's kind of endearing. Like he kind of gives off this air of, I don't care, Hollywood, Schmollywood, right? Yeah. But yeah, you kind of feel like he's authentic in a way because he's not here for the hoopla. He's just here for the journey of making fun and silly movies. Yeah, exactly. It seems that he just definitely cares about enjoying what he's doing. And mm -hmm. I think that's, once again, that's admirable because, you know, you see some actors who just, who started out great, but then they just kind of went into weird directions and it didn't seem like something that they wanted to do. It just seemed like something Hollywood kind of threw at them. Yeah. But yeah, Adam Sandler stayed true to himself. And I think that's, I think that's something that not a lot of people do, especially yeah. in that business. Uh, Totally, totally agree. Okay, so let's move on to themes. You mentioned one earlier, but let's dive into it a little bit more. Why don't you kick us off with themes? Yeah, I mean, so in terms of themes, I guess the the automatic themes that comes to me is obviously romance, more of a, how do I say it? Not necessarily coming of age, but self-realization theme mm. where, you know, you're faced with a difficult situation that, that wasn't your fault and 
it kind of leads you down this path of seeing things work out for others where those things isn't what you value. Mm-hmm. And so it definitely leads the character down a path of making the wrong choices since they go against it goes against what they value, which leads their characters into even more of a chaotic situation. And I think that's I think that's a common theme for a lot of a lot of rom-coms, but with it being a 90s movie, the themes were were pretty clear in terms of what the characters' core values were against or what they didn't value. So, I think that was probably the biggest theme for me was more just, mm-hmm. you know, self-realization. That's a really interesting one, and I totally agree with you. It's not something that I wrote down, but I 1000% agree with you. Like Robbie this whole time wanting to be with Linda. Maybe his sister was right that he just wanted to get married from a very young age. But then once he sees the good in Julia, he's like, oh yeah, this is what love could be. And so there's this whole self-realization, I think. Like you have to go out of your comfort zone a little bit and experience the world and see new things and be like, oh, this is actually how things can be done. Yeah, definitely. And I think that, you know, both of the characters, both Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore's characters, they were definitely in love with the idea of being in love. Mm-hmm. And they just kind of ran with it. And I think that's, you know, that's that's something that could be common in a lot of people. I know that like, right. at a certain point in time, I was very much like that. Mm. And I think that's the theme that makes it very, very relatable for a lot of people. You know, they're just, they're in it because they believe that's what it should be, even though, you know, obviously they were in it for the wrong reasons, but they believed the idea so much that they thought it was right. Yeah, that's a theme that I really liked also. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Not really a message theme, but they do reference this a lot in the movie, is this whole concept of growing old together and seeing yourself growing old with someone. And I feel like a lot of rom-coms, at least at this time in the 90s, and I've revisited you know, quite a few rom-coms since then, but mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of them don't really talk about the future in such clear terms. I feel like a lot of rom-coms are mostly like, oh, who's Mr. Right or Mr. Right now? Who makes me happy now? And it's not really a vision of someone that you'll mar- you're married to for 50 years, which is what Rosie, the character, helps Robbie realize, oh, he wants to grow old with Julia. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something really romantic about this notion about growing old with someone. And upon reflection, I don't feel like I've seen that a lot in, in the rom-coms I've watched. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I guess... Maybe this could be another instance of them, you know, making an 80s reference where it was all about being happily ever after. I don't know if that really was the thing in the mm. 80s, but I think that it definitely, like you said, you know, Rosie Ellen Dow's character. That's actually something, yeah, I like that a lot. The idea of growing old together, because I think that that's something that, again, it sounds so much more relatable instead of being in the moment and finding, you know, Mr. or Miss right for you in that moment i mean you know when people grow old people change and you know things change but Mm -hmm. the wedding singer made it seem a lot easier to find that person which i'm not going to complain about because it's a movie (laughs) but you know i think yeah like you said that's what makes it different from a lot of other rom-coms it just seems like this is a much more admirable kind of story because they want to grow old together instead of just love in the moment yeah it's it's very sweet in that sense it's very romantic Another theme, I don't know if it's a theme, but it's such it's such a trope in rom-coms is that so much is left unsaid. Neither character clearly communicate that they're falling for the other person. And I wasn't frustrated by this, you know, like all the missed, not missed opportunities, but like in the sense that 
Robbie is about to go to Julia to tell his feelings, but then he catches her in the window and she seems so happy in her wedding dress, but she's actually talking about Robbie. Mm -hmm. And then on the flip, Julia is like, oh, I'm going to confess my feelings to Robbie. And then when she goes, Linda answers the door. So it's just a lot about timing. I don't know if it's relatable, but I think a lot of times we as people don't know how to say how we feel. We're obviously afraid to say how we feel. And I think this captures that pretty well but it's really frustrating to watch sometimes yeah other than the last 10 minutes of the movie the whole second act it felt like a big game of cat and mouse mm-hmm. and there's miscommunication along the entire way yeah that's kind of just what it seemed like not to say that it's bad but you know it just didn't feel like there was progression with the actions or the feelings that were driven to each character it just felt like a game of cat and mouse up mm-hmm. until the last 10 minutes with yeah. the great spectacle and everything just kind of lines up perfectly. Perfectly. Granted, it is a 90s movie and it's a movie overall. So, you know, I can't be too upset about, you know, the coincidences in the movie. It's just that, you know, with that that whole theme of, of miscommunication and going back and forth of cat and mouse, it's definitely a relatable theme because I think, you know, like you said, the game of cat and mouse does happen mm-hmm. pretty often with, you know, two people who probably feel something but don't want to say anything it's Mm -hmm. it definitely sounds like something that could happen in in everyday life yeah my only gripe is that the last 10 minutes which is a great last 10 minutes of the Mm -hmm. movie it just didn't really feel earned necessarily with the whole game of cat and mouse that's my only complaint about the story Mm. it just didn't feel earned like i felt i felt like i wanted more not necessarily more cat and mouse but definitely something more tumultuous that would lead to you know a huge spectacle like that yeah it does seem very quick that's kind of what i noticed also upon my rewatch is like robbie sings the song and boom they're married like whoa Mm -hmm. what happened in between that time i mean rom-com par for chorus but i totally agree with you in real life this would not happen yeah I think it'd be awesome, actually, if it did happen on an airplane. I would be so. I would probably cry if I saw that happen. Aww. I'd be like, this is the sweetest thing I've ever seen in real life. Dude, okay, so let's. this is the perfect segue into favorite scene. I'm going to have to shout out this scene. This moment when Robbie Hart sings Grow Old With You. I love this. This is a great grand gesture moment. I love yes. that it happens on a plane. I wasn't moved to tears, but it was so damn sweet. Yeah, I think the song in itself... The song is literally titled Grow Old With You. And so just about the whole theme of this kind of romantic comedy about and the whole topic of growing old together instead of just being in the moment. Yeah, there's something very endearing about it. And when Adam Sandler sings it, it's just, I don't know, it's probably like one of his most like endearing, like sweetest moments because he wrote that song too. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I can't think of any other gesture in a rom-com other than High School Musical, that would make me like wanna like <laughs> that would make me feel those things, you know. It's just incredibly genuine, incredibly sweet, and honestly, it was probably I would have to say this is probably my favorite rom com scene. To be honest mm. with you, yeah. In life, yeah, I don't know. Wow. There hasn't been any other grand scenes in a rom com that would make me be like, "Wow, that was awesome." Yeah, this is a very iconic moment. I, it yeah. is. Uh, I think when you hear Wedding Singer, a lot of people would be like, that song, Grow Old With You. I have a very specific memory, actually. Side note is that for a wedding I went to years, years ago, as a party favor, they made everyone like a mix CD or something like that. And this song was on it. And I thought that was really, really sweet. 
That is really cool. It's giving me ideas for whenever mine is. <laughs> yeah, because isn't that the dream is to find your person and then to ultimately grow old with them? Yeah, exactly. Such a good one. What are some of your other favorite scenes? Or was that it? I mean, no, that was definitely like my favorite overall rom-com scene. But I think, you know, just the amount of Adam Sandler nuances that he has in this movie is just, I don't know, I think it's timeless. Mm. Yeah, another example was when he told Drew Barrymore's character that he wrote a song and half of it was when he was still with his ex-girlfriend and then half of it was after he broke up with his girlfriend mm -hmm. and he made it seem so like casual and he goes, yeah, it's just a little unbalanced. <laughs> <laughs> and then he plays it and it was just, yeah, it could not be more unbalanced than that. And it, I don't know, it was... It was funny, but also you can kind of feel his pain a little oh, bit. Yeah. And it was just like, oh man, it's funny, but I feel you. Yeah. Again, that's what makes the movie or Adam Sandler's character so relatable is just he doesn't hide those things. But the way he plays it off in such an Adam Sandler way, it's, it's like so casual, but you can tell there's so much pain behind the casualness. <laughs> I loved it. This is actually my other favorite scene is him singing Somebody Kill Me. It's so good. Yeah. I don't know. I think their other favorite moments is just a lot of small things. You know, mm -hmm. when uh, when you first see Boy George and he says, okay, take it away, Boy George. <laughs> and then he plays the song and no one likes it. And he doesn't have anything else to play. So he plays it again and everyone's just like really confused so or disgusted. Confused. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I can't imagine that like in a real life situation today. And I think it's, it's those things that make me laugh. Where yeah. I'm just like, imagine if that happened today. Yeah. How can he not have another song up his sleeve as a performer? It's just kind of a WTF, but also amazing. Yeah, it's really funny. Oh man, another another great reference that I forgot to mention was when Glenn, the character, mm -hmm. he comes back into the house and he goes, I just bought a CD player. Yes. Cost about $700. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah, it was just crazy. It's just yeah, CD players. That was that's an item lost in time. Yeah, I mean, I I love that moment because it takes you back to the eighties, right? You're like, wow, this mm -hmm. that wasn't even an invention that people had readily available. Um, and then you just kind of fast forward. Like time is weird, you know. Like in the nineties, we were using discmans, and now they're pretty much defunct. Yeah, I don't think kids these days probably even know what a CD player is, mm. which is crazy because. Back in the 80s, that thing was like $700, which is, <laughs> which is wild. So good. Yeah, and I, uh, I was trying to think of other ones. Oh, yeah, and so just building off of Glenn, which is really bad. I feel really bad at laughing about this, but when yeah. Drew Barrymore was standing in the mirror trying to make herself feel better, yes. and she goes, hi, my name, I'm Mrs. Julia Gulia. <laughs> so good. I actually was laughing a lot at that because, yeah, it, it's funny. I would never want to have a last name that rhymes with Your first, first name. name. It's just terrible. It's just, <laughs> it's just so terrible. bad. I love yeah. how 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 upset Julia is. She's like, I cannot, I cannot, and she just breaks out in tears. Yeah. My name is Julia Gulia. Yeah, but the thing is, when Adam Sandler was like, Julia Gulia, that's funny, and then Glenn goes, Why is that funny? Yeah, <laughs> and then he, Adam Sandler goes, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh come on, it's funny because it rhymes. You know that. It was a nice recovery. He was just trying to be so nice to yeah. Glenn. Glenn's just a dick. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if I were Julia, I just wouldn't change my last name. Just Julia Sullivan. Yeah. No, that makes sense. But I mean, you know, that's the whole 80s yeah. and 90s perception of, you know, women having to change their last name. Mm, which, yeah. 
I don't think is even a thing anymore. Yeah, I think some people, you know, there are definitely people who still change their names. I, I didn't change my name. Yeah. Yeah, that's a whole other conversation. It took me a long time to come to peace with my name, so I'm not changing it now at this point. Yeah, and I think that's, obviously that's probably more of a, like a Western wedding mm. tradition. I don't know if it is or not, mm -hmm. but it just seems like it's it's like a predominant Western wedding or marriage tradition. Mm. But in that case, I would I would have pushed back hard. <laughs> Julia Gulia? No. No. I can't. No. <laughs> All right, WTF moments, here we are. Plot holes and most unrealistic moments. I know it's a rom-com. There's probably quite a few, but upon rewatch, I picked three very, very specific scenes. And I don't know if anybody else would have caught them just because this is the kind of weird person I am. Okay, so my first scene is at the beginning when Linda is a no-show at the wedding. Robbie's sister comes to tell Robbie that she just got off the phone with Linda's mom and Linda's not coming. Okay, so I thought about this and I was like, why the heck wouldn't Linda's mom be at the wedding? Why is Linda's mom calling Robbie's sister? Oh, that is true. I didn't even realize that. Sure, maybe mom couldn't be present at the wedding because she doesn't live in New Jersey, which is where the movie's supposed to take place. But yeah, I was just like, red flag. Why isn't your future mother-in-law at your wedding? Yeah, that is a good point. And they all grew up in the same town together, it seems. So that is a good point right. to bring up. Right. Yeah. No, I didn't I didn't even think about that. Yeah. That is very nitpicky. So nitpicky. Um, I mean, in terms of plot holes, I mean, we already talked about the second half of the movie about the miscommunication and and all that. So I don't have to go too much into that. Mm. Yeah, it is a movie that takes place in the 80s. So, to be honest, I have less knowledge about what I believe to be unrealistic. Because mm. times were very different in the 80s. So maybe yeah. a career at a venue hall maybe was more of a of a small town local job that you can have compared to what it is, like what you could get now. Mm. Yeah, I'm not too sure about what could be unrealistic. I mean, obviously, I know the ending on the plane is probably unrealistic. Yeah, I think I think you're along for the ride. You know, when you sit down and watch this movie, you're like, OK, I'm in the 80s. Let's have it. Yeah. Yeah, this is probably one of I'm not going to say it's more realistic but this is probably one of adam sandler's more realistic movies mm. compared to i don't know big daddy or Waterboy or mr deeds oh my gosh yes those yeah. are just outrageous right yeah like, like this outrageous. plot seems a lot more believable mm -hmm. therefore i wasn't really trying to poke holes in the plot obviously you know aside from what i already said you know the tone that he created was already in that mm -hmm. mindset of okay this is this is kind of believable i'm just gonna go with it yeah I think yeah. the reason why this is kind of more relatable or believable is just because it's really about human interaction in this one, right? Mm -hmm. Like, there's no freak accident like Drew Barrymore has in Fifty First Dates, or there's no crazy outside confluence of events like Mr. Deeds where Adam Sandler becomes, I don't know, like a bazillionaire, right? So yeah. it's just really focused on these two people um, and their feelings for each other, which is totally relatable. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so my two other WTFs, again, I'm almost sorry that these are so nitpicky. Julia is apparently new to town. She calls herself the new girl. But, like, where is she coming from? Like, was Glenn here the whole time? Was she and Glenn having a long-distance relationship? I don't know. Like, mm -hmm. is Glenn also new to town? But, yeah, I, I just noticed they just kind of opened with that, and then there was no explanation of where she's coming from and all that stuff. Yeah, that is true. I guess when they said new girl, I guess I'm, I I took it as new girl on the job. Mm. Because it seemed that she already knew Christine Taylor's character. Well, they're cousins. Well. Yeah, because they're cousins. And 
there's a couple scenes where they're in what looks like Christine and Julia's house that they live in together. Right. Or a kitchen. So maybe she was just new on the job and therefore she was new to the entire cast of people in the movie aside from her oh, fiance okay. earlier in the movie. That's the kind that's that's how I interpreted it. Got it. But yeah, that is a good question. You know, like how wouldn't she know anyone if she's been living here this whole time? Yeah. Yeah, that is that is a good plot hole. Yeah. It's so small. Not important in the movie. And then my final, final, really small nitpick is the wedding dress that Julia is wearing. I was trying to wonder if she is wearing the same dress she would have married Glenn in. And I was like, that's weird. I wouldn't, I don't, I don't think I would do that. If I were going to marry somebody else and then change my mind and marry a totally different person, I would get a different wedding dress. If I could. If I could afford really? it, i get a new one. But if I can't, then sure. But that's kind of weird. Well, what's the reason for that? Because if, like, say the wedding dress costs a lot, right? Mm-hmm. And the dress is beautiful to you, and just because you're not marrying that person, you would want to wear another dress? I mean, yeah. I guess it, it kind of makes sense, because it's kind of like a different energy, different... You pick a dress, a certain dress with, like, a certain mentality, I guess. Yeah, I think for me, I mean, it's probably a very unique and specific experience for any bride who picks out their wedding dress, but... I think you pick out a wedding dress with the intent of like, oh, so-and-so is going to see me at the end of the aisle. It's going to be in all these pictures. I don't know. Maybe she's just really thrifty and she's just like, screw it. I'm going to wear the same wedding dress. But for me, I'd be like, oh, I... yeah, for me, it's about like the energy and like the intention behind it. I'd mm. sell it and buy something else. No, that's fair. I mean, yeah, I, I have no idea what it was like in the 80s. Maybe wedding dresses weren't that pop. Yeah, like that. Yeah, that much expensive. Of a thing. Oh, yeah, maybe they were expensive, but maybe it was just a lot harder to get. I I don't know. <laughs> Michael, I, you I sound... have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> the eighties are such a foreign concept. Yeah, it, it... it <laughs> I is. Honestly, though. I have to no you, idea how is. things are in the eighties. I can only tell by the music and the fashion of what it was like. That's really it. Yeah, but that's it in terms of WTFs. But yeah, I mean, those are incredibly nitpicky ones. But it's a movie that I've rewatched quite a few times, and I had these thoughts for the first time upon my rewatch. I was like, huh? I never noticed this before. We talked a little bit about the ending already, but do you have anything else to add about your thoughts on it? Um, you know, I know we've talked about how unrealistic the scene is, but being that I've only flown in first class once, I do sometimes wonder how much people can get away with in first class. Ooh. Wait, when did you fly first class? It was by accident. I think I was... Wait, like you accidentally booked a first class ticket? No, or... I, I got bumped up to first class oh, on a okay. random flight. I think I forget where, honestly. I think I was coming back from California one day, one time, mm. and all my other friends were still in coach, but for some reason I got bumped up to first class. Yeah, it was pretty nice. <laughs> yeah, pretty first cool. class is pretty nice. Yeah, there's a lot of space. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think first class. I mean, I don't really. I'm not an experienced first class rider. I've been bumped up. A few times, and it's always a very, very nice experience. But I think you really feel it when it's like an international flight because you're just on the plane for so long. Yeah. Like short flights, first class is kind of negligible. It's like, oh, two hours. Yeah, yeah. You're not really feeling the tiredness of a long flight. But yeah, that's a good question. First class yeah. in the 80s. I do wonder what it was like. Yeah. I was definitely very much like Adam Sen's character when I first got into first class. They were just like, may I take your coat for you? And I actually asked them, where are you going to put it? Because 
because you know you have a big seat and yeah you usually just put stuff in your overhead compartment but when i already put stuff in the overhead compartment and they're saying can i take your jacket yeah i was really confused i was like where are you gonna put it yeah and then um just that whole stigma or that whole concept of you know seeing a celebrity also in first class mm. yeah billy idol shout out yeah because i have seen celebrities on airplanes that i've been on before granted i was never on first class who have you seen um i've seen this singer lma lmi she's an r&b singer okay very famous r&b singer she's got a bunch of radio music now but i saw her i could tell it was her just because you know i'm kind of creepy like that mm. it was on a flight oh yeah also coming back from la mm-hmm. and yeah she had on these sunglasses and i could just tell by her hair and she mm. sat in first class and I wanted to bug her really badly because I'm a huge fan of her music. But then I was just like, no, no, no. It's it's seven in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty Oof. sure she would. Yeah. She would not be happy. So I just left it. But I, it actually brought me back to the, the whole idea of the wedding singer because that's mm. where, you know, that's that was the first real glimpse of first class of what first class was like, you know, when I was young. So. Mm. I saw Wendy Williams in first class once. I was boarding, we were all waiting to board our flight. And I was like, oh, that's clearly Wendy Williams because she had like big hair and she was wearing sunglasses. It was just also like really early morning flights. So you're just like, why is she wearing sunglasses indoors? And then yeah. you realize, oh, okay, it's it's got to be someone who doesn't want to be seen. But that clearly yeah. just makes it worse. Yeah, you can only hide yourself for so long. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we talked about how just the ending is just really fast, but it's so sweet. The grand gesture. We haven't mentioned Steve Buscemi. Yeah. As the new wedding singer. I kind of loved that. That was really, really funny. But I was trying to think about what I would have liked to see this movie end with. And it would have been really fun to see Robbie make it as a songwriter or maybe like six months after the wedding, just like an epilogue. Maybe yeah, he's working with Billy like Idol. Now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He gets to fulfill his dreams of becoming a singer-songwriter. So yeah, that would have just been like a nice little extra cherry on top. But, you know, it didn't need it for what this movie actually is. Yeah, definitely. I think it was just more focused on them two coming together more so than everything working out career-wise for them. Mm-hmm. It seemed that, you know, both of them weren't exactly lucrative careers and that... Mm-hmm. Love prevails, but at the end of the day, it's like, all right, well, if Adam Sandler's not a wedding singer anymore, mm-hmm. and if Drew Barrymore still works at the venue, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess, you know, that's that's the life that they want to live, but it's just like, is is that it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Who's your favorite character? Oh, man. I don't know. I guess, I guess I'd have to say, obviously, Adam Sandler's character, but mm-hmm. <laughs> which character did I like more? Definitely, um... Ellen Dow's character, Rosie. Mm-hmm. Just because she, she's like a... She's like a really cheerful, sweet, senile old lady. Um, and I think it's so adorable when she pays in meatballs. And then yes. she makes she makes Adam Sandler hold out his hands <laughs> and she just puts the meatballs in his hands. And she's like, oh, take a bite. That's what I wanted to see. It's like, yo. I mean, it's so good. I... I mean, Michael, you and I are lockstep on this. Rosie was my favorite. She's the comic relief, the meatball bit. She gives him the meatballs and then she like grabs his hands as the meatballs are in Robbie's hands. I mean, just small moments. And then she ends with rapping, Rapper's Delight. Yeah. And then her age too. It's just like, wow. Honestly, I I give all the props to her for her to be able to do all that stuff. (laughs) And still do the same thing like 20 years later. It's it's great. (laughs) so fun do you think robbie and julia make it as a couple i think they do 
I mean, with that kind of song, how can you not? <laughs> right? That's what I think, too. Like, they talk so much about growing old together. You, you kind of have to buy into the fact that they're going to grow old together. Yeah, and I think they just, again, they also just really played their chemistry, like, in the movie. It was just, it just seemed so natural, too. Like, mm-hmm. how could they not grow old together? Yeah. Especially, yeah, you know, like, when they were planning Drew Barrymore's wedding, and they were kind of playing it off about how they were brother and sister, and they started, like, biting <laughs> each other. Yeah. And then I had like, pulled Drew Barrymore's, like, hair, like, really hard. <laughs> it's just, like, I don't know. I appreciate things like that because it means, you know, you can kind of be goofy mm. but still, like, share those feelings. You know, I think that, that, in my head, that creates a very genuine connection. Yeah. And plus, I don't know, if, if any girl ever saying grow old with you to me... Yeah. I would definitely be like, all right, yeah, that's what I'm growing old with. Aww. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you know, how can you not? Yeah. It's, I agree. Yeah. They say it together. I get it. I buy yeah. it. And in my opinion, I think Christine Taylor is a lot more attractive than Drew Barrymore. Mm-hmm. And yet, Adam Sandler didn't have any feelings for Christine Taylor's character. I don't know. I find Christine Taylor to be a lot more attractive. Yeah. In both fashion and just like... Do you... She's definitely more fashionable. She's really leaning into the 80s. I did read somewhere that Drew Barrymore's character is actually not very styled as 80s. And that might be kind of an oversight of the whoever this, the stylist is in the movie. But Drew Barrymore's character is a little bit geared more towards like the 90s. Like with her yeah, hair I was not, yeah, and her Yeah, now that I think about clothes. it, her, her character could honestly fit in the 90s too. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem too far off from like her character in like Never Been Kissed. Yes. <laughs> yeah, where it's just like, all right, well, Never Been Kissed is different because she's never been kissed, but it's kind of like the same kind of thing, like charming, sweet girl who's just looking for, you know, a looking genuine for love. Like, interest. Yeah. Yeah. Which seems very, it seems incredibly 90s, to be honest. Yeah. Do you remember the movie Never Been Kissed, Michael? K- kind of. I remember there being a baseball field. Yes. Yes. I remember there be. I remember her being a reporter. Uh-huh. Oh, she goes back to high school, right? To write yes. about something. And then she falls in love with, um, was it a teacher? I forget. Wow, you basically just summed up the premise of Never Been Kissed. Absolutely. Really? Yes. Yeah, that's a separate podcast. I'm not going to get into it here, but yes, that's another classic Drew 90s rom-com. Yeah, I mean, I guess to, to bring it back to The Wedding Singer, yeah, yeah, maybe it was The Wedding Singer that kind of propelled her into that that role for, for the rest of her rom-com movies. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that if The Wedding Singer really was, you know, the the catapult to it, then, you know, props to props to Adam Sandler for it. Yeah, I mean, you and I really have a soft spot for this movie, and I, I generally do think that this movie is pretty popular. I don't think we would disagree on this part, but in terms of the belovedness of the movie, I think the 80s adds a lot to it because it it's just a fun reflect. I think they were smart in being a 90s movie, but setting it in the 80s versus being an 80s movie in the 80s or a 90s movie in the 90s. Do you know that what I mean? That is very like, true, yeah. It just makes it way more fun. They're able to poke fun at the 80s. Yeah, they don't have to take it as seriously. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I think we as a public are like, we, we love that about this film. It's just like, oh yeah, remember the 80s? Ha ha ha. Um, but it's kind of a caricature of the 80s. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so I'm going to move on to some trivia here. This movie, upon release, was number two at the box office after Titanic. And oh, I was man. like, That's huge. It's huge. When I saw this trivia point, I was like, wait, when did Titanic come out? Titanic came out in 98 also, I think. So Titanic right? came out in December of 97. 
Oh, wow. But I think maybe, like, the general public weren't really seeing it until early 1998. Yeah. So this movie was supposed to take place in New Jersey, in Ridgefield, New Jersey. But That's it's hilarious. Actually our second podcast, and both movies were supposed to take place in New Jersey. It's always New Jersey. Yeah, that's very coincidental. But this movie was actually filmed in California. Okay, I can see that. And I, I got a kick out of this. I actually noticed this upon my rewatch yesterday, which the license on Sammy's limo reads, I'm kinky, spelled I-M-K-I-N-K-E. Oh, wow, I didn't even realize that. I saw it and I was like, wait, what? And then I saw it in the trivia. Like, I'm kinky. I'm kinky. Come on, Sammy. You could be better than that. It's terrible. Oh my gosh. Carrie Fisher, Judd Apatow, and Adam Sandler worked uncredited on the script. So oh, wow. Carrie Fisher, as we all know, is Princess Leia, her most iconic role. But I, I found that to be so random. But apparently she kind of worked uncredited on a lot of scripts throughout her career. And she helped make the female part of this movie more balanced. Nice. No, that's that's actually awesome. More respect to, to Carrie Fisher. Yeah, I love that. And you will appreciate this point of trivia. I don't know if you noticed. You probably did. But a few characters in this movie are also in the TV show Friends. Yep. Julia's mom is played... Yeah, it plays Ross and Monica's mom. Yeah, she's Mrs. Geller. <laughs> yeah, I love saw that. that. I was like, wait. Because <laughs> I've been re-binging Friends again. So yeah, the, the face was so familiar. Yeah, so good. Linda, Robbie's ex-fiance, plays the copy girl that Ross sleeps with while he and Rachel are quote-unquote on a break. On a break. Oh, wow. I didn't even know that. The hair is it different. Makes so much... Yeah, but the face is very there. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Holly, played by Christine Taylor, plays Bonnie on Friends, who's the bald girl that Ross dates for a few moments. John Lovitz, who's also uncredited in this movie. He plays the DJ, Jimmy Moore. Or not DJ, but another wedding singer. He plays a restaurant critic that gets high on Friends. Yep. And then apparently George, played by Alexis Arquette, was a waitress at a drag show, uh, I think in one of the episodes with Chandler's dad. I don't remember oh. that episode, but I think it's a very small scene. Oh, wow. But Alexis Arquette is David Arquette's brother. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Who was married to Courtney Cox, Monica, at the yeah. time. Yeah. The Friends was very was very relevant in the 90s to mm-hmm. early 2000s. They took a lot of like the heavy hitter actors of the time. Yeah, they just put everyone on the sitcom. Yeah. Which is, which is really cool, honestly. There's not a show that would do that anymore. Yeah, totally. They, they were ahead of its time. Yeah. In many ways. Um, but I think we can wrap it up, Michael. Do you have any last thoughts or last takes? No, I don't I don't think so. Honestly, this movie was... There's not too much to really dig into, to really uncover about the movie. Just mm-hmm. enjoy it for what it is. And it's honestly a great, like, 90 minutes of just 80s nostalgia. Love it. Mm-hmm. And Adam Sandler music. And it's, you know, what's there to really complain about? Yeah. My takeaways are the 80s rule. And I would love to see Drew and... Drew Barrymore and Adam Sandler in another rom-com. I'm here for it. I would totally watch it. No, I definitely would too. I guess, you know, it just depends on the story. how... On the story, yeah. I mean, again, like you said, like Adam Sandler doesn't really care if people like his stories. I mean, I, just, I guess it also depends on where Adam Sandler is creatively. Mm-hmm. A lot of his movies are kind of like ridiculous plots with a bit with a bit of action in it these days, but I would love to see Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore work together. I think... 
I think any movie that they create together is always worth watching, but this is definitely the best one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I love them together. They're so good. All right, well, I think that wraps it up for The Wedding Singer, Michael. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. To all tuning in, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Romcom Weekly. Please follow us on Instagram at Romcom Weekly, and you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And let us know what you think of this movie. What would you rate this on a scale from 1 to 10? And we'll chat with you again next week. Bye. 